The federal government could within a year or so let citizens use the same credential to access different services from different agencies. Hello, I'm Eric Charbro of Information Security Media Group, and welcome to the second of my two-part interview with Jeremy Grant, a senior executive advisor at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, who's the government point man on the National Strategy for Trusted Identities in Cyberspace, a government initiative to make transacting business on the internet more secure and simpler. As we pick up our conversation, we're discussing pilot projects funded by the government to develop new forms of authentication. Okay, a few weeks ago, NIST announced three new pilot grants aimed at helping develop standards for a more secure, user-friendly way to give individuals and organizations confidence in their online interactions. Before we get to those, the first pilot grants, five of them, were granted two years ago. Each organization got between $1.6 and $2 million back then. What have we learned about trust identities through those initial pilot projects? Well, I think a couple of things. One, we've had some really good successes with a few of them, particularly, you know, the, the grants that we awarded, we all had, four of the five of them had a two-year period of performance. And now as we, in fact, here we are today at the end of the fiscal year as we're recording this, a lot of them have really hit some great milestones. And frankly, a couple have struggled as well. Um, you know, one of the things we anticipated when we awarded those first pilots is some of them would struggle and that's actually okay. I think if every one of them was a smashing success, it would have been a sign that we weren't picking ones that were hard enough to do. And the whole goal of the pilot was let's tackle some really big, hairy challenges that are out there in the marketplace and see if we can come up with some solutions to them. I think we've learned you know, quite a bit both from the successes in terms of where there's models or technologies or policies that can be replicated across the identity ecosystem, but also some of the areas where there's been failures or challenges. Why don't you pick a, a success from one of these pro programs and a failure and, and what you've learned from them? Sure. One of the successes that we've seen is that if you can actually come up with an easy way to ensure interoperable strong credentials can be deployed in a way that's really cost-effective and easy to use, organizations will pick them up. But one of the grants that we funded was to an organization called Internet2, which you're not familiar with them as a consortium of most of the major research universities in the United States. And they do a lot of work around cybersecurity and identity, you know, helping to create common platforms that different schools can use, both to protect their assets, but also for information sharing, because so much of what goes on an academy is collaborative. You know, even though Michigan and Ohio State might hate each other, you might have doctoral students at both who are collaborating with each other on the solution. So they need to, you know, have a platform to do that. They were not using a lot of multi-factor authentication. And one part of their pilot that we funded with them two years ago was to basically fund the creation of a consortium that would pool together a lot of schools to come up with a really easy way for these schools to start migrating uh, to stronger authentication. They pulled a bunch of schools together. They determined requirements. They went out and with a couple of vendors negotiated really, really good bulk discount pricing so that any campus that wants to get engaged in this consortium and start buying from it could get the same uh, solution. It's all smartphone-based, so it you know ties really you know closely to the needs of their students and faculty. And we've seen more than 140 schools now, as a result of this pilot, at least start to pilot on their own you know, smartphone-based multi-factor authentication with a few campuses now migrating to a full rollout across students and staff and faculty. Is this basically you get a code that you input uh, from your smartphone or something else? It's actually better than that. It is that you have a choice of either implementing a one-time password or you get a push notification. Now, when you're logging in, instead of entering a username and password, you simply get a push notification on your phone that says, hey, Eric, you're trying to log into the site. Push the green button if you are and the red button if you're not. And when you push the green button, it does some really nice stuff behind the scenes supporting strong cryptographic login. But from the user experience, it's just something where a device that they're already carrying sees them a notification that's more or less the same experience as, hey, your Uber's arriving or, uh, hey, 
you need to put you know more money on your parking meter, leveraging the device they already have with a secure configuration to support second factor. So you know now I can point. And, and this is the second factor. You still need a password. Uh, in this case, you need a password. Yes. So we're not quite at the point where we are totally killing off passwords at this point. But you know this is at least getting a second factor out that's really easy to use that can materially increase the security of you know what folks are using in the academic environment. And you know it's a nice thing to be able to say two years later because of this pilot, there's more than 140 universities who are benefiting from stronger security. Uh, it helps to really you know as we talk about you know getting different segments of the country being able to focus on universities is obviously one place where we can get a lot of benefits in a really short period of time. How about the drawback where you where a private project did not work out as those? So we had another pilot who, um, I, I won't name insensitivity to them, but they came in with a proposal to basically deploy another kind of smartphone-based multi-factor authentication across a variety of, call them, you know, big name firms that everybody does business with. While they had good commitment letters, from them. It was a bank. It was a big online commerce site. It was a big retailer. What they found when they actually went to deploy was it was easy to get a commitment letter signed by, oh, say, the person who's the identity guru in those companies. But then when the pilot you know, plan would go to, say, the marketing people who own the, what the website looks like, they'd say, oh, wait, we're not sure we actually want to do this. This is different. What if it confuses customers? When it went to the lawyers for review, the lawyer said, we've never signed off on a contract like this before to accept a credential coming from some place that we, you know, we did not issue. There, the pilot really sort of ran into a bit of a wall because there were some barriers within these companies that were quite hard to overcome in terms of demonstrating, uh, I would say, both the precedent for doing something different like this with identity solutions, as well as certainly with some of the contract language, it was a hard thing to overcome. It had some decent successes, but I would say it was a little less grandiose than we originally anticipated when we awarded the pilot. And I think a key lesson learned from that is it really sort of feeds back to what we're trying to do with NSTIC in the identity ecosystem steering group. This is a private organization that we've, you know, supported the last couple of years that was formed to basically help support the creation of this identity ecosystem that the NSTIC envisions with a specific goal on creating standards, both at a technical and a policy level, for interoperability. So the idea is if you actually had this framework in place, it'd be really easy for a retailer to come in because you'd have standard contract terms, you'd have a lot of the policies already worked out. You wouldn't have these barriers where when council's looking at this for the first time, they're not really quite sure how to address some of the risk that's inherent in a contract because there's predefined risk models that everybody's already agreed on. You have a set of, of rules that you can follow. So a lot of those lessons learned have actually fed back into the steering group that we've set up, the lessons learned from the pilot, and the steering group in part is working on some things to address that right now. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, so we can't go into each of the new three projects, but there are three new projects. Can you summarize what you hope to get out of the new pilot projects? Sure. Well, I'd say at a high level, what we're hoping to get out of these pilots is pretty much the same as what we were hoping to get out of the ones that we awarded the last couple of years as well. The pilots have been an absolutely essential part of NSIC implementation. If for no other reason than NSIC's a strategy, it's an aspirational document that describes this marketplace that we want to get to. There, there is no better way to actually start advancing us to that than actually start trying different advanced identity systems, getting them piloted in the hands of students and seniors and patients and other consumers that are out there. And 
and really helping to seed the marketplace for a new range of more advanced identity solutions that didn't exist out there. There's nothing better to actually get us from strategy to a marketplace than some of these pilots. And so the three that we awarded, one is focused on a partnership with major uh, mobile network operators in America, leveraging cell phones, the second factor of authentication in a way that will be interoperable regardless of the carriers. Another one is focused on setting up a shared signal system to help different online service providers know when an email account or other accounts is being used for fraudulent purposes. This is the kind of thing that is a big barrier in the marketplace when it comes to trusting other accounts. How do you know if it's really a legitimate account or not? And the third is focused on a partnership. It's actually in the state of North Carolina, looking at how North Carolinians applying for different benefits can leverage the identity proofing process they already went through for a driver's license to then also apply for state benefits without having to come to a state office a second time. So they're all exploring different facets of identity and in some cases trying to tackle different barriers that are out there. But, you know, these three pilots, I think, fit in very closely with the other 12 that we've awarded previously. You know, as a whole, you're seeing them identify and address barriers to stronger marketplace adoption and also see the marketplace with successful solutions that, you know, will live well beyond, you know, when the pilot grant itself expires. Finally, what do you think the trusted online ecosystem will look like in two years, five years, 10 years down the road? The identity ecosystem, I think two years, you know, we'll we'll continue to build on the successes we've had now. Certainly on the government side, we're getting really close to launching a new service that will basically uh, enable citizens to have a single uh, credential or multiple if they want. We're not trying to push a single one, but that they can use to log in across different government sites for new online services. With that, a year from now, you'll see within the government, if you're a veteran who, uh, you know, also, you know, needs to renew his passport online, you'll be able to use a strong credential, the same credential if you so choose, uh, both to log into the My Healthy Vet portal at the VA and also to potentially do oh, renewing your passport online at the State Department and a variety of other applications. So briefly, what kind of credential would this be? Uh, well, it could be, again, there's a marketplace of different solutions that are accredited for you. So it would probably be something, uh, it might involve a one-time password or it might be something with the push notification that I talked about before. It would be a two-factor credential that would tie back to firms that are already accredited for government use at what NIST defines as level of assurance three, firms like Verizon, Symantec, IDME. These are all firms that have gone through the accreditation process. The idea is how can you use something you already have in your pocket that you might be using in the commercial space to also log into a government site and it's enabled because it essentially that, that credential meets the government standards and policies for accepting a third-party credential. You know, a year from now, you'll see that up and running and see a number of sites bringing new services online. I think both with our pilots as well as other things in the marketplace, you'll see more and more solutions where people are using stronger credentials and passwords and they're using them interoperably across sites. I think two years from now, you know, most Americans should be able to choose from at least two or three different providers to get a credential that they can use that, you know, oh, say at least 20% of sites. Five years, 10 years from now, I think we expect this will be much more ubiquitous across the marketplace. When you look at other technologies and sort of when they reach that inflection point that they're simply everywhere, it's not always that you, a day you can point to that that moment when it happened, but you can certainly point to, you know, a period of two or three years when went from something that, you know, almost nobody had to almost everybody was using. Look at the smartphone, for example, over the last few years. And so I think you'll see that with stronger identity solutions where this will be something where one day people won't even remember a time or, or it'll look back and say, wow, that was different when, when we were only using passwords every place we logged in. I think as this marketplace starts to take hold and we work out addressing some of the barriers to it, uh, we'll be at that inflection point within a few years. Thank you for your time, Jeremy. Sure. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Eric. That's Jeremy Grant, leader of the National Strategy for Trusted Identities in Cyberspace. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.